Good morning, Christ Prez. How are you? It is good to be with you this morning. Um, I actually preached this sermon a few weeks ago at Pacific Crossroads Church, and it was actually the first time I've ever preached on the topic of singleness, which is sad because I am single, like it is, it is my story, and I was a bit nervous to do so. And some of us might have been listening to Paul's words there in 1 Corinthians 7, and we found them maybe strange. We're like, you know, Paul, I love Romans, right? Like chapter 8 was awesome. We're never being separated from the love of God. I don't know if this was your best work, right? Not sure if, I, if I'm resonating with this one. Uh, and I myself, even as a single person, sometimes have a hard time squaring my experience with what I think the apostle might be saying. But I think that what he's saying is actually freeing, liberating, even radical. And it's what our city and our church actually needs. And we need wisdom to wade through it. So let's pray before we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, I need your spirit. I need humility. I need wisdom. And we need Jesus. Proclaim the name of your Son. May I stand behind the cross and disappear. May it be Christ that we hear and receive. And may you actually work in our hearts. Because this microphone helps people to hear my voice. It does not help people to hear your voice. We need your spirit for that. Make our hearts good soil, please. And may it lead to the flourishing of our church. And to the flourishing of the church as it spreads its mission in the gospel. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, I know that we said like TV shows, now everyone always keeps up with them, but I, I, I'm not good at keeping up with the new shows that come out, but one of them that I have kept up with is Stranger Things. Okay, yes, I was so worried. Like, do you watch Stranger Things? I don't know. If you haven't, that's okay. Uh, my students love it. We had a Stranger Things party. Uh, I love that show. I tried to show it to my parents. They were like, whatever. Like, that was not their thing. And that's okay. Uh, If you're not familiar with the show, it's about strange things happening in this small town of Hawkins, Indiana in the 1980s. And there's this alien creature. It's kind of like a sci-fi thing. There's this alien creature called the Demogorgon, right, who's terrorizing this town. He was out in the woods and did whatever. And, but the character that I want to focus on is a character named Barb. Do you know Barb? Oh, I know, Barb. Poor, poor Barb. Um, Barb is single, and in this scene in particular, Barb is sitting by the pool. It's at night, and her best friend, Nancy Wheeler, just went inside the house with her boyfriend, Steve Harrington, and they're like holding hands and doing their making out and doing their couple thing. And Nancy Wheeler's just sitting by the pool all by herself. Then all of a sudden, the Demogorgon jumps out, right? And like attacks her. I can't do the noise, but whatever. He like attacks her. And then immediately it cuts back to Steve and Nancy in the house, holding hands, being a couple. And then cuts back to, uh, to Barb being dragged off by the Demogorgon. And then back to Steve and Nancy. And I want to suggest, that's a pretty fitting analogy <laughs> for what it can sometimes feel like to be single in the church. Hashtag justice for Barb, okay? Um, It can feel like you're on your own. It feels like something is wrong with you. 
feels like being left out of the good life that your friends might be having, might be. Uh, it can feel like being attacked by a demogorgon, if demogorgon equals loneliness. But what's funny is that this passage, the Apostle Paul says that the single life is actually a gift to the church and to the kingdom. It's a rewarding and full life. And in even some instances, may be preferable to marriage. Now, I know that's a bold and audacious claim, but I want to look at it in three ways from this passage. I want to look at the call to singleness, the gift of singleness, and the hope of singleness. First, the call to singleness. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him into which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. One of my friends, Dr. Wes Hill, uh, maybe more of an acquaintance, I should say, is a celibate gay man who is a New Testament professor in Pennsylvania. And he, has, he believes that his calling in life is to be single right now. And he gets all these emails and letters and texts and messages from people who are in the church and they're struggling with their singleness. And he shared this email with us one time, and I'd like to share it with you. This is what the email said. Wes, this is from a single person, what I cannot imagine, what causes me to wince in terror is the thought of being single in my 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. What if I lack the joy and support to pursue it? Whatever the case, I am profoundly restless in my singleness. I feel like I'm suffocating under the burden of it. Call it weakness but I just so desperately need to be needed. And more needed than a friend who closes the distance with a phone call or a flight or a drive. I need to be needed by a companion who's there when I return from work. There when I want to read a book out loud. When I go to bed. There when I wake up or cry or laugh. There when I'm sick. What I want is a partner who mutually shares our moments of being. That's from Virginia Woolf. Otherwise, I dread the thought of having those moments forever unwitnessed. Sure, God witnesses my moments of being, but that's not enough. I need the face of God in a watchful and loving human face. How do we respond as a church to that email? How do we respond to it? I want to suggest that the American church has not responded very well. In fact, the answer is typically, well, then get married. Which is good. Marriage is good and beautiful, and we're going to talk about that. It's just not the only answer. Nor is it the only biblical category. And I think that the American church has lost the biblical vision of singleness. We have lost it. And we talk about it as this waiting stage, right, for marriage, right? Like, join the flying solo singles ministry, right? And then you can level up to real Christianity when you get married. And if you really want to, pop out some kids for our aggressive growth strategy, right? Like, <laughs> let's get with it, right? So we talk about this weird waiting phase, or it's kind of like this weird testing phase where you kind of like walk through a labyrinth of like trying to convince God that like you love him enough so that he'll really give you a mate, right? Like you can play reverse psychology on omniscient God. Doesn't work, you know. Uh, 
So what, what we have to understand first is what Paul is not saying. He's not saying that singleness is this amazing thing and it's never lonely and it's never hard and it's just awesome and we need to be really spiritual and just admit that. Which is why I really like the Michael Scott quote when he's talking about his singleness and, they, and he's like, you know, I like it. Right? I like starting each day with a sense of possibility. And I'm optimistic because every day I get a little more desperate. <laughs> and desperate situations yield the quickest results, right? <laughs> from the office. Uh, Paul is very forthright about his own struggle in his life, including with singleness. The thorn may be in his flesh, whatever that may be. But he also talks about being shipwrecked. The dangers at sea, dangers in the city, the anxiety that he has for the churches. He's not saying that the single life that he lives is a casual walk in the park. He knows that it is very hard. Nor is he saying that marriage is, or sex is less spiritual. Paul knows his Old Testament. He knows the Genesis narrative. He knows that God created light and dark, uh, land and sea, male and female, and that the, the unity and diversity of these things coming together produce fruitfulness and beauty. And that God said it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. And actually the first command that he gives is be fruitful, multiply, have sex. Be fruitful, multiply. Which is why that, we, that story kind of weaves its way through the Old Testament. Which is why in Genesis we have all those genealogies. And we have like the Song of Solomon, which is an entire celebration about the beauty of sex and covenant marriage. All the way even to the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, where it says, And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That marriage, family, and sex are at the very center of God's desire to redeem and renew the cosmos. So why does Paul say in this passage that it may be preferable to be single? Is he having a case of spiritual amnesia? Right? Did he forget that, I don't know, he wrote Ephesians where he literally says that marriage is an embodied parable of Christ and the church? Why is he saying this? Because I think that Paul believes something truly incredible happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for which the world is a different place. That the very fabric of reality has changed, that God has invited us into a whole new world, and that he is doing a new thing. What do I mean by that? In that culture, in much like our own, to be masculine meant that you actually got a wife and you fathered children, right? There was actually the old Jewish rabbinical saying that went like this, he who is 20 and not yet married spends all his days in sin. <laughs> Woo! Discipleship. Um, yeah, that's very... Or for women, you have to be married and bear children, which is why there were so many laments about barren women in the Old Testament. Paul is saying marriage is a signpost of Christ in the church. It's just not the only one. Singleness and celibacy are also a signpost, and he deliberately, willfully makes room for singleness as a beautiful calling, not as something that could one day happen, but as something right now, in and of itself. Not as a temporary state on the way to marriage, but one that is extremely honorable. Verse 38, so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. But how is singleness? How is that a beautiful pointer to Christ and the church? We need to look at the gift of singleness. 
the gift of singleness. Verse 7, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. He's saying there are different gifts, the gift of marriage and the gift of singleness. And so we were like, well, one sounds better than the other, right? It's like on Christmas morning, your brother Timmy gets a nice new red mountain bike and you get an SAT prep workbook, right? It's like, this is going to come in handy one day, Timmy. And it's like, well, okay, like one gift seems better than the other. What do you mean the gift of singleness? Some people might be like, oh, it's a gift. Does it come with a receipt? Can God return it? Can he get his money back? Um, but what we actually need to see is that when we talk about the gift of singleness, sometimes we talk about it as this like higher spiritual gift that only certain people have, like monks and nuns and really devoted missionaries. That's actually not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that if you are here this morning and you are not engaged or married, even if you're dating someone, if you're dating someone, you are actually, in biblical categories, single. And you have the gift of singleness. You have the gift of singleness. That your calling right now, in the state in which you're in, married, divorced, single, you are actually a gift to the church. But we don't talk about that at all very well, do we, in the church? We kind of talk about like, yeah, yes, of course you can live your life for Jesus as a single person. But then kind of under the hood, it's like, but I hope you find someone special. Right? And I hope that you really get, you know, have like five kids or four kids. Like that's what you really need to do. You're not really a full Christian yet. Which is why I really liked the new Spider-Man Homecoming movie. I don't know if you saw that. It's okay if you did it. But in the movie, uh, Peter Parker, the guy who plays Peter Parker, has just gone on this mission with Tony Stark and the Avengers. And Tony Stark is Iron Man. And they're sitting in the car on the way back and... Uh, and he says, oh, when can I go? Peter Parker says, when can I go on my next mission with you guys? When can I go on my next mission? And he's like, oh, Robert Downey Jr. is like, we'll call you, kid. Don't call us. And he's like, yeah, but I'm, I'm a real Avenger, right? I'm a real Avenger. He's like, yeah, okay, sure, sure, sure. And then and he's like, te- you know, Peter Parker's like texting throughout the movie, like, wait, you know, like, hey, when's my next mission? When's my next mission? When's my next mission? And then finally, Tony Stark has to break it to him and say, kid, you're not really a full Avenger yet. You're just still just a kid. But I think in the church, we kind of treat singles that way a little bit. Like, you're not really a full Christian yet. We wouldn't say that necessarily, but that's how we kind of underhandedly talk about it. You're not really a whole person now. You're, you're kind of waiting on the bench, so to speak, before you get put on the court. You're still in the dugout. But that's not really how Paul talks about it. What does it mean to be a Christian? To love God and to love neighbor. Can you do that as a single person? Paul is saying you may have a greater capacity to do that as a single person. I don't think that I'd be able to do the, uh, the, the extent of ministry that I do at UCLA if I were not single. Of course you can do ministry as a married person. But there is a sense in which I really do have the opportunity to do ministry in a certain way. Even when I was in seminary in St. Louis, I could actually volunteer at this inner city uh, ministry for inner city youth. I could play basketball with them. I got to do chapels with them. I got to tutor them. I don't think I'd be able to do that to the extent that I did if I were married. Paul, actually, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4.11 that Christ gives gifts to the church. Someone pointed this out to me. But you know what's interesting in that verse particularly? And it says that Christ gives gifts to the church. It doesn't say he gives preaching and teaching and evangelism. It says he gives pastors and evangelists and prophets and teachers. When Christ gives gifts, he gives people. Do you know that you are actually a gift to your church? That you are a gift to your church? Wherever state you're in, married, single, divorced, You are a gift to this church, which means that if all the single people 
got married or left, our church wouldn't be the same. This church would not be the same. And by that, I don't mean we'd lose all our babysitters, right? Like, like who would come early to help us up? No, like, that's not what I mean. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's not what I mean. What I mean is that something, our relational spiritual vitality would be diminished. That we are to grow together as one people, one family. And that we would actually lose some of the quality of our relationship. Something would be lacking. Because you matter to this church, whatever state you're in. Which means it also matters how you live. Because I could say as a single person, well, I don't have a wife and kids and I've got this disposable income, I can do whatever I want. Or I can throw myself into my work and just become a workaholic and just do that all the time as well and kind of ignore the fact that there is loneliness and emptiness that resides at the corners of our hearts. We can do that. You see, Jesus came not just to save us from our sins, but to save us from ourselves. And he actually does that through relationships. And I don't just mean romantic ones. Uh, Paige Benton Brown said that to be single is not to be alone. If someone asks, are you in a relationship? You should say, yes, I'm in dozens. Yes, I'm in dozens. Because our range of relational options are not limited to being married. Christian growth mandates relational richness. One of my friends, actually, who's 38, single, faithful to the Lord, he was driving down the interstate, and this thought came to him, almost like a flaming dart that like, set his body aflame almost. And the thought was this. You know, you're now too old to have a family and kids. You'll actually never have kids. And it just, it said it affected him so greatly that he had to pull over onto the side of the road and he was just like crying. He told this to no one. And in the next few days, he starts getting texts, emails, messages from friends and other people who are saying, hey, I just want you to know what a, what a great mentor you've been to me. What a brother you are to me. What a father figure you are to me. And he says he was actually overwhelmed with a very different emotion at that point. Because what's happening is that Jesus is actually forming a new family. And it's actually, the New Testament family is the church. And not necessarily just the nuclear family that our culture idolizes and elevates. Which of course is important. But Jesus is forming one new family. Which is why... When Peter looks at Jesus and he says, we've left all to follow you. Jesus says, there will be people who give up mothers and brothers and sisters and fathers who will receive in this world mothers, hundredfold mothers and brothers and sisters and fathers and in the age to come eternal life. There will be some who do give that up. And I will give them a hundredfold of that even in this life. Jesus is forming a new family. Our church is not a loose confederation of single people and nuclear families. We are one family. And our city, Santa Barbara, y'all city, uh, Los Angeles, the one city I live, we desperately need that. We need a community of people who are actually growing in intimacy and friendship and relationship with each other and growing together. I think that's actually the sermon next week is how do we grow in friendship and intimacy? We need that. I was actually reading a novel this summer about L.A., and this quote jumped out at me. It said, L.A. is a city made up of 10 million desert islands, with each island containing a single exile. But that can also be our own city. That can be our own church. I'm just kind of doing Christianity on my own. I'm just kind of going out on my own. I'm doing this all on my own. 
And that's not how the Scripture portrays it. Paul is saying we need to start sketching and outlining the type of church the New Testament is trying to paint. And it's filled with singled and married people living full lives for Jesus. Joy-filled lives, happy and holy in Christ. And that to actually be single and to follow Christ means that you can actually be a billboard for the sufficiency of Jesus. And it can also be in, in your marriage or in your state that you're in. You're actually a billboard for Christ. You're a sermon in shoes, as one of my pastors said. And through that, we actually show the hope of the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. What is the hope of singleness? Typically, I like, I like that phrase because typically we think, oh, the hope is to be married, right? That's the hope. Which is a good hope. It's a good desire. It is a good desire. But what is the hope that I'm talking about? It's actually a real hope. A real hope. By that I mean it's something that is true now and can, will continue to be true. What is the hope of singleness? Three brief things. First, the goodness of Jesus. It can be so easy. And I say this to every single person, no matter what state you're in. It is very easy to think or question, is Jesus actually good to me? Think about your circumstances. Some of you guys, maybe some of you are here this morning, I don't know you. You're in marriages where you're like, I resent my wife and kids. Or I resent my husband and kids. I resent the state that I'm in. I resent my former wife or my former husband, my ex-husband. Is Jesus good to me? Is he actually good to me? Paige Benton Brown, in her piece, Singled Out for Good, said that in her, she wrote this one in her late 30s. She was single when she wrote it. And she writes, I long to be married. My younger sister got married two months ago. She now has an adoring husband, a beautiful home, a whirlpool bathtub, right? All new kitchenware. Is God being any less good to me than he is to her? The answer is a resounding no, she says. God will not be less good to me because God cannot be less good to me. It is a cosmic impossibility for God to shortchange any of his children. Jesus cannot be less good to you. And you may actually feel this pain on like a Friday afternoon, right? When you're, like that sinking of loneliness may begin to set in. And you begin to wonder, is Jesus really good to me? But our circumstances do not tell us if Christ is good to us. The only Friday afternoon that tells you what Christ thought, thinks of you is Good Friday. When Jesus gave his full life for your full life so that you may actually live it abundantly in Him. That Christ loved you and gave Himself for you. So of course, He is good to you. But also, not just the goodness of Jesus, but the power of friendship. And I know this is next week's sermon, but we really undervalue friendship in our culture and in the church. It's kind of like, well, I may not get married, but at least I can have some friends. Is that how the Bible talks about friendship? When we get married, we talk about the covenant of marriage, which it is. I actually believe that the Scripture talks about relationships as covenantal. All relationships as covenantal. That even friendship is, in a way, covenantal. Jesus said the greatest love that one can have is laying down your life for your friends. That friendship is actually very deep and very powerful. And we all need this. I'm talking to married people. Like, just because you're married, like, you know, oh, I'm not lonely anymore, right? Like, of course you are. There's lo- we all desperately need friendships. We need friendships in this church. We need to make space and time for them. I was, like, really having to, I have to tell this to my UCLA students all the time because it's, like, career, everything, boom, boom, boom. Like, y'all, like, relationships matter. 
you know, or even, even at Pacific Crossroads in LA. It's like people, I, I was talking to someone last night at a Friendsgiving. And they're like, you know what? I just don't think friendships are really all that important. You know, like there's just so many other things going on in my life right now. It's like, well, is that really how we think about it? We really need to be with each other. And even if we're so busy, we need to make time on a Saturday morning, you know, if we have kids, do like a play date, whatever it may be, but spend time together. Invite single people into your homes. Invite them to be a part of your life. I told L.A., I said at LA, uh, the sermon in L.A., I was like, go get Christmas trees with each other. And someone's like, no one does that. And I was like, whatever, whatever you do, like, invite them. I'm, I'm from South Carolina, I didn't know. Um, we go chop down our trees. People are like, we don't do that here. Um, well, go invite people to, be a, to decorate a Christmas tree together. I don't know, whatever. Invite them into your home to be a part of your life. Long for that. We need that. Our church needs that. Our city needs that. But finally, it's also a testimony of the resurrection. What do I mean by that? Singleness is a testimony of the resurrection. See, the married person can trust in the resurrection, but the single person must trust in the resurrection. Um, I got this from Rodney Clapp, but he, uh, of course the resurrection is true, but he says, if it were not, like, the married person can actually have their memory carried on by their kids, right? They can have their memory carried on by by uh, children, but the single person must mount the high wire of faith without the net of children in their memory. If singles live on, it will be because there is a resurrection. And if they will be remembered, they will be remembered by the family called church. That actually, if you're single, you really are a billboard for the, for the kingdom, for the sufficiency of Christ and the beauty of heaven. Because Jesus said in heaven there will not be marriage. Which means that singleness cannot be inferior because that would mean heaven would be inferior. People must give wherever state you're in your whole life to Jesus. I don't know what Jesus is going to do with my singleness. I don't know, but I do trust him. I'll conclude with this. There was a seminary student who was helping out with a nursing home, uh, and there was this lady who, she was blind, a bit disfigured in her face. Uh, she was bound to a wheelchair. She had never been married. She had no family, and her name was Mabel. And he would go and visit her, and on Mother's Day, you know, he gave her a single rose and said, this is for you, this is from Jesus. And she said, oh, thank you. And he, as he was walking away, he watched as she wheeled over to this lady and gave the rose to her. Well, a few days later, he comes back, and he's talking to her, and he's like, he's kind of looking at her surroundings. It's kind of the place no one wants to end up. It's like sterile hospital, nursing room, no families coming to visit her. And he asks, and he says, what do you... I, he didn't mean it, I'm not, not to be offensive. What do you do all day? Like, what do you do? She says, oh, there's so many things. She's like, and she starts naming off all the people in the home that she meets with and talks with. And she says, and I talk to them, and I pray with them. And she says, and I think about Jesus, and I think about how good he has been to me. You know, the, our society, we may even look at that and we think, what an unfulfilled life. Never been married, no kids. Ends up in a nursing home. What an unfulfilled life. And yet the Lord looks down on that, and in his eyes, she is richly fulfilled. She is richly fulfilled. It takes a lot of guts to say, I'm going to give this to Jesus, and it's up to God what he does with it. When you give yourself over to Jesus and really mean it, there really is no knowing what he can and will do with your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy to us. Whether we are single, married, divorced, 
Whatever state we are in, Father, I pray that we become billboards for the sufficiency of Christ. That we show His love. That we are full people in You, made whole in Christ, brought into a new family that You are forming and shaping. We are the bride of Christ. And Lord, I pray that we may actually live our lives as healed healers, even in the city of Santa Barbara and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.